Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. This is the BFT in the ATL, presented by Jamba. Smoothies, juices, and bowls. Jamba is always the right play on 750 The Game. I'm in Atlanta, Midtown Atlanta to be specific. I'm in the studios of 92.9 FM, the uh, sports station here that is the dominant sports station. Uh, I want to talk to another radio friend. You can blame this guy if you don't like hearing me on radio. Ian Furness, back in the day, made a mistake. He brought me on as a guest on his show on another station, and then he uh, he encouraged me, which is a dangerous thing. He encouraged me. He said, hey, you could do this. You just need to learn the formula of it and uh, blocking and tackling, so to speak. And here I am 17 years later hosting my own show, and I'm bringing on KJR's Ian Furness, also voice of the Kraken. He's joining us. He's on his way to a uh, very important game as we speak. How you doing, man? You know, I was laughing I was, as I heard you say that. I was thinking when I was in Salt Lake before I even got to Portland, I was a program director for a, a minute, and I put two guys on the air in the morning, and 24 years later, they're still on the air there, too. I, I do a better job of making sure other guys have good careers than my own sometimes. I think. <laughs> Good, good to be on with you, man. Good to be on. You're with not you. doing bad yourself, my friend. <laughs> with the uh, first of all, what has it been like for you with the Kraken and in your own show in, in Seattle on KJR and and all of that, man? Exciting stuff with the NHL. It, it, it was it was weird. I mean, I, I'm the fill-in guy. I'm kind of uh, I'm like the quad A baseball player. I guess that'd be the you know the like K. Tramel maybe would be my name. Uh, <laughs> I. Uh, I got called up a couple times last year to do uh, to do some cracking games on the radio. Uh, the, the the television guy John Forslund does some TNT stuff, uh, so they bump guys around. The radio guy got sick and uh, with COVID, but yeah, I'm kind of I'm I'm the, the backup to the backup. I'm just the backup, I guess. I'm number three in the depth chart, so uh, yeah, it's fun. It was fun. I mean, I'm really busy with you know last year after a year of not traveling. I've been traveling covering the Seahawks for Fox 13 for I guess 13 14 years now, so. You know, we didn't do that in 2020, but we, you know, we do it every year, including this year again. So I, I, I'm enjoying the last weekend at home. Going to watch my kid play a small college football game back east on a live stream here in a minute, and then after that, I'm on the road for the next uh, four or five months. I, I love that you're going to get a chance to see your kid play a game. It's making me feel old though as well. Uh, you had a guest <laughs> on your show, on your show today, Pat Chun. The Washington State Athletic Director joined you. It was a really interesting interview. I listened to parts of it. He did not hold back. What did you take away from that interview? Well, you know Pat uh, really well, too, John. And, and, you know, I I think think Washington State is in such good hands with him. I think Scott Barnes does a great job at Oregon State. You know, Mullins. We have some really good athletic directors in the Northwest uh, that are kind of overseeing what's going on in in a really tumultuous time. What I got out of Pat Chun was this was a really good day for the Pacific, I guess we'll call it what it is, the Pac-10 conference. And now, especially, obviously, teams that may not be in line to move on to the Big Ten or what have you, specifically Oregon State, Washington State. But I think overall, and, and he said point blank, it's a, it's a, this is a good day. It's a good thing for this conference. Uh, the college football playoff restructuring 
the expansion of it, meaning the Pac-12, Pac-10 championship game in years to come, will more than likely, unless the conference just lays an egg that year, and that's on them if they do that, but more than likely that will always be for a birth in the college football playoff. That makes that title game more lucrative. Media rights deals become more lucrative. Today was a good day. And then, you know, the other part I got, just to paraphrase, I don't have the quote in front of me, but, you know, he was pretty critical of UCLA and USC and how they handle things. Uh, in fact, at one point took a shot at them saying, you know, well, the one thing we can say is we didn't lose anybody to another conference that actually has been to the college football playoff, which is a shot right directly at <laughs> UCLA and USC, since the only schools we know that have been there are Washington and Oregon. So it was a it was an interesting uh, day. I asked him about being you know, the trust factor, and that's kind of where he took a shot at USC and UCLA, and he talked about the trust that he has to have with you know with Jen Cohen and and Rob Mullins and the other ADEs and, and vice versa. And I think that the conference is in a good place. I, I don't know if you would agree with me. I think the conference as a whole, with the leadership that's left with the 10 schools, is a good place. And I think because of what happened today, knowing that you're pretty much guaranteed a seat at the table and your media rights deals just got more lucrative, I think, I think it's a good day if you want to see this conference stay together. Uh, Ian Furness, KJR Radio in Seattle with us. Uh, I agree with you. I think, you know... There are two things that matter right now to the to the major programs. It's revenue from media rights, and it's access to the playoff. Yeah, the Pac-12 just mm-hmm. took care of that second part. Do you think, in your mind, that this slows the talk of Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten? I do. I, I now I, I will say that I always have to kind of take a step back because you are probably like me. You listen to and you hear from directly a lot of fans for those two schools, you more so Oregon, obviously me so more so Washington, but having worked in both markets, and I know they hate when you say this, but it's true, Oregon fans and Washington fans, you are one and the same. You're the same person. You are exactly the same person. And that person is delusional and, and really has no concept of reality in, in any way, shape, or form. That's not a bad thing. That makes you a fan. You're, you might as well be an SEC fan. What I mean by that is this. <laughs> they still think that they can just waltz into the Big Ten roll through a couple Big Ten championships, I'll say they being Oregon and Washington fans, roll through a couple Big Ten championships, knock off Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, et cetera, and, and cruise into a play. No, no, no. Your path to get to the, uh, a CFP is far easier in the Pac-10, especially just, I wasn't a math major at Wazoo, John, but 10 as opposed to 16. Isn't that a better chance to win the conference? I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, and I, I think it slows it down if, for that reason. Now, there's, like you said, there's two parts of it. The other part's revenue. But what will the revenue look like now when your conference championship game becomes that much more lucrative and that much more important to a network, probably ESPN? It's an ESPN-centric deal. As you well know, you and Wilner have done a phenomenal job. I love the podcast talking about this. What ESPN tells you to do is what you will do. I have a feeling that ESPN is going to dictate whether they expand this conference or not, but I don't think there's any reason for Oregon and Washington to leave. In fact, the other thing I would wonder is if I'm UCLA specifically, am I having buyer's remorse right now? Yeah, and, and yeah, because I think, you know, you look at what is Gonzaga's advantage in the WCC. It's that they can be the big fish <laughs> yeah. in the small pond. They can get to the NCAA yeah. tournament just about every year as the automatic qualifier. That automatic bid in the Big Ten, you got to go through everybody to get there. I think uh, it it probably makes Oregon pump the brakes. There's still a revenue piece out there. 
but these playoff spots are going to be worth north of fifty million dollars a piece. Like I think it could could get close to a hundred million for these playoff berths, and I think the right. Pac-12 is probably going to explore uneven sharing of the playoff revenue. Meaning, if you get to the playoff, you get to keep a larger percentage of that. So I think there's a there's a model or a formula here that could make it very lucrative to the members that stay behind in the Pac-12. Well, and I think that's what Pat Chen was alluding to as well when I when I had him on the show today. I, you know, there's, you know, I think when you when you look at that bigger picture, like you just said, there are some things that you know in the world that we lived under Larry Scott, where it was 100 percent, you know, equal distribution of revenue, which was completely different than when the conference before that, you know, before they went to 12, and it used to be before the Pac-12 network, the ill-fated Pac-12 network, and everything else. Remember, it used to be, hey, you're on TV, national TV, you get a bigger cut. So USC always got more money. When they switched that and it was equal revenue distribution, well, you know, USC and UCLA have been stewing on that for the last decade plus, right? You should get more if you earn more to a certain extent, right? Like if you get to the playoff. I I don't think any athletic director or school president would have a problem. In fact, I mean, uh, I believe Kirk Schultz is on that college football playoff committee, right? Washington State. Yes, he is. Yeah. uh, President. Well, think about that for a second. What do you think his agenda was on that? It was to make sure the Washington states and the Oregon states of the world were taken care of. And if that means, hey, Oregon gets the CFP, they get more money than Oregon State and Washington and Washington State and Stanford and Cal that year, heck yeah, they should, right? Shouldn't they get more? They, they earn their way there. It's still good for the conference and better for the conference. I'm sure they can – we have a commissioner now that has a vision. You have people like Kirk Schultz in positions of power that understand college athletics. Like I said, four great athletic directors in the Northwest. I, I think we're in good shape there. I'll just take a step back. I, I, I'm more curious right now about whether or not this conference does indeed pursue expansion. Like, does it make sense, or does it make more sense to say, hey, we're going to get X amount of money from ESPN and whatever deal we do for media rights, and, John, if we get that and there's 10 teams, we play a nine-game conference schedule, you play everybody, there's no complaining, oh, you know, Washington didn't have to play Utah and USC, which, by the way, they don't this year. Uh, it, you know, you get that. No complaining, and then you play your three non-conference games. It's all equal, 10 teams, West Coast time slots. Seems to make a lot more sense, and then you have a better chance to get in the playoff. And, heck, maybe even could you imagine two Pac-12 teams, Pac-10 teams in the college football playoff? Maybe that's possible as well. Yeah, if you look at last year's rankings, Utah would have been in. Oregon would have been the 14th team, so they would have just missed it. But how about this one, Ian Furness? Let me throw this at you because I do think this is something – that the Pac-12 is discussing right now. They are talking about going from nine conference games down to eight, but they would fill that additional week with a crossover game against the ACC. ESPN creates some new value, some matchups they like, like, you know, Miami going to Oregon or, you know, Florida State going to Washington. You You get some additional revenue out of that. And you also get a chance for your conference to play a crossover and show, hey, we can hold our own against the ACC. Like, we deserve a second team in the playoff. Do you support that, or does it get hairy for you? I, I, okay, I would support it. I think the pro- I've had this discussion with Pat Chun. I had this discussion when Bill Moose was, was at Washington State, and, and multiple times. And with Moose, it was on and off the air. Because it's. I, I think one of the, the one of the strangest, most – really the dumbest thing to, to make it simple and the dumbest things in college sports is college football scheduling we schedule a decade in advance or more and because they do that your schedule it's really difficult and bill used to always talk about it, and pat will say the same thing 
is that the problem you run into is that nobody wants to come out west. So, like, if, like what you said there about the eight games, okay, I'm, I'm all for eight games, but you better have a partner that will play ball and be contractually yes. obligated to do so. Because do I know my yeah, I know my school, Wazoo, has lost a lot of games over the years where it's like, hey, we're going to go to Wisconsin. Wisconsin's going to return the game, and then they just buy their way out of it and never do. Oregon State suffers that same fate. I'm sure they'll tell you the same thing, yeah. right? Arizona, in fact, Arizona State, Arizona State, Ian, gave yeah. me the, the biggest pushback because they said what they're running into is they're getting uh, the, you know, trying to fill their non-conference games. They're being asked for a million to a million and a half dollars from some of the mid-major programs that that they're asking to play them. <laughs> Hey, Central Michigan, you stay in your lane, man. You're not getting a million dollars. But that's the problem. That That is the problem you run into. You need to do a revenue split, whatever it is. However you work that out contractually, where, and, and you know, it, it can be like versus like. It doesn't have to be like versus like. It could be Wake Forest coming to Oregon and Wazoo has to go to Florida State, whatever it might be, right? Like, it doesn't have to be, you know, yeah. maybe you just do match up the teams. I mean, the easy thing, you match up the teams for standings the, the year before. Right, and and then that's what it is, and and make sure but make sure it's equal because, you know, and it was I would think I love the idea again the contractually thing the contracts the hard thing because we got all these contracts you see these things you, you see it John in the off season these schools release hey we're gonna play so and so in 2031, super like I, I hope I'm around at 2031 you know I'm 60 <laughs> years old I mean like like it just doesn't make sense but again scheduling out west is really hard. And that's why we see the games that we often see out west. You know, like the like the NAU Arizona State game last night. I love Chris Ball at NAU, good dude, great coach. Like, what do we get out of that? Nothing. Idaho's playing Washington State, 93rd time they've been playing it. That's fine. You do that, but you do that in necessity because you can't find you know another Mountain West school or something like that to play. So I, I love that idea, John. If they can make it work contractually and force teams to not buy their way out, then it makes all the sense in the world as well. Ian Furness is with us. You can catch him on KJR in Seattle, also on Fox 13 in Seattle. Hey, before I cut you loose, let's let's talk uh, two things. Mariners uh, look like they yeah. are a legitimate MLB team. They're having fun. They're winning. And then the Seahawks, um, what kind of year is this going to be for Seahawks fans, Furness? John, we're living in a strange world up here. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to wrap my arms around what's happening in Seattle. We're living in a world in which our soccer team, which has never missed the playoffs, is on the verge of missing the playoffs. Our baseball team, which never goes to the playoffs, is all but in the playoffs. And our football team may have its second consecutive losing season, which hasn't happened since 2011. Strange times, man. I don't know. I, I, the Mariners are legit. I mean, you, you know baseball. You're a Baseball Writer Association of America member. I know that. You, you know baseball. They, they have probably the best one through five rotation in baseball right now and they've been healthy all year. Kirby doesn't have any innings limits on him, and he's arguably your second-best starter, you know, maybe your third at worst. Castillo is the number one guy. Uh, Robbie Ray is a Cy Young Award winner. Marco Gonzalez is your opening day starter, John, and he is no better than your fifth starter right now, and that's not because he's been bad. It's just because there's five guys ahead of him, including Logan Gilbert, who's number four. They don't score a lot of runs. Their offense isn't great if Julio and Ty France aren't going. But you don't score against them. Their bullpen is lights out. They're built for the playoffs. I mean, a three-game series, you roll out Castillo, Ray, and either Gilbert or Kirby, that, that's a winner. Like, like that, that, that wins a series for you just like that. So they're legit. The Seahawks, 
Last I checked, you need a quarterback in the NFL, and they don't have one. Uh, Gino is a journeyman. He's a backup. Uh, they're not mailing it in. That's not the Pete Carroll mentality. And I really, really like their roster makeup outside of that position. It feels a little bit like 2011 when Tavares Jackson started, and then they, they hit you know gold the next year with Russ. I, I think they're a year away and one quarterback away from being a really good football team, but they just don't have a quarterback. Ian Furness, you're the best. Thank you for getting me started in this business. You uh, travel safely. Good luck to your kid tonight. Thanks, John. Take care, buddy. See ya. There he is from KJR in Seattle. I'm in Atlanta. We're going from sea to shining sea on today's show. Uh, Coming up uh, top of the hour, we'll go to Gainesville, Florida, where Utah and Florida are preparing. But up next, we're going to talk about stars, not the stars in the sky, the stars on the football field. How many four- and five-star players do Oregon and Georgia have suiting up? And why does that matter? We'll talk about that next. Live from Atlanta, this is the Bald-Faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I'm in Atlanta, Midtown Atlanta, in the studios of 92.9 FM, uh, Falcons and Braves flagship station here in Atlanta. A lot of buzz about the Oregon-Georgia game. A lot of buzz about the Stars. Anna is in studio with me here uh, on uh, on location. What have you been up to, Anna? Just getting ready for tomorrow. I'm super amped. Like, I, I, I don't know about you, but I get really excited. Like, watching, you know, the Ducks, they do a fantastic job of marketing the team. So all yeah. the sizzle reels that they're putting on Instagram and getting, you know, even the casual fan like me interested. Like, I'm super stoked for the game. I wrote this morning about Marcus Mariota. He is the quarterback of the Falcons here in Atlanta. People, A lot of people asking about Mariota. When they find out you're from Oregon or you covered him when he was in college, they want to know about him. But I wrote about Mariota and the underdog role that he has assumed here in Atlanta. Like, it's not the ideal situation for him to step in and, and be a starter, but it is a starting job in the NFL. If you want to read that, you can get it at johnconzano.com. I also wrote about Chance Nolan this morning. Uh, you know, Oregon State's quarterback, I think, gets a bad rap. I'll tell you more about that later in the show, but Chance Nolan, when you look at his numbers, they are uh, indicative or reflective of the success that Oregon State has. As Chance Nolan goes, so do the Beavers. As much talk about the run game that we have, uh, it's that quarterback. If you want to read that, Grab a free subscription or a paid subscription at johnconzano.com. I want to talk about the stars. Not the stars in the sky, but the stars on the field. Uh, when we look across the football field on Saturday, Oregon will have 52 players that have ranked with four or five stars, according to 24-7. So they rank seventh in college football. They got 52 players that have attached either four or five stars to their to their name, so to speak, in the recruiting world. Um, that's one more star than the 2019 LSU team that had Joe Burrow. And we all know that that team played deep. I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical that stars are being handed out now the way that they used to be. I think they give out more stars now because they know that fans get excited when they see stars. So I think there's a little skewing going on there. But if you compare apples to apples in this era – Oregon has 52 four-and-five-star players. Georgia uh, is sitting number two on that list with about seven more. 
and it's interesting for me to hear people talk about Oregon not in the same terms as an SEC program when Oregon has the recruiting numbers that put it at about fourth or fifth in the SEC. I want to know what that's about. Steven, you're back in studio. Sean, you're back in studio. Oregon, as much as anybody in the Pac-12, could hold its head high in the recruiting world. Give credit to Mario Cristobal, mostly. But why don't the SEC fans respect it? That's a good question. I don't know why, because you are right. The recruiting numbers are there. Uh, They are one of the higher recruiting teams in the nation, not just the Pac-12, but the nation. It does seem a little weird. I, you know, I've talked to some people that are down there uh, that are that know a lot of Georgia fans, and they aren't even taking it seriously that they're playing Oregon. It's, it's like an FCS team is what they compared it to. So I really don't know what the reason would be. I think it's just because the personality of people on the West Coast, maybe we're laid back, stuff like that, that we don't care. I think that just has to do with that we're kind of soft. I, I think it's just a lot of uh, a lot of. What am I? I never forget the word I'm looking for, but uh, you know, just a lot of things that we are known for. I think it just gets uh, thrown out at us. I yeah. think it's all about the playoff. You know, I think you know Oregon. You're right. Credit Mario Cristobal. I would even say credit Willie Taggart. You know, I think Willie Taggart started this trend at Oregon of proving that the Ducks can recruit with the best, especially on the West Coast. But I think you know Oregon maybe isn't taken as seriously because they have had some success, but they always lose that big game every year. And you know, I think the 2019 team should have made the playoff. You know, they had all sorts of talent on that squad, and they fell short of the playoff. And you know, I think if you're a Pac-12 team, you're you're on the West Coast. I think from the SEC perspective, you know, if you're not in the playoff, then you know you're uh, like the Pac-12 hasn't made it since 2016, and I think that's where the uh, the lack of respect comes from. Yeah, I think you may be right. We talked to a big Georgia fan today, and I and I asked him, and he said, "Look, um, I said, is this a big game for you guys?" And he said, "Every game's a big game for the Georgia fans," and, but th- he's really looking to the SEC season to find out if Georgia's going to be any good. And I think that's a really interesting point because, look, Oregon has nothing to lose here in this game. They're playing the defending national champions. When you look at five-star recruits, not four and five, but just five-star recruits, Georgia has more in the last five years than any program in the country. They have 16 five-star players that they have signed. Uh, Second on the list, excuse me, they have 30 five-star players since 2016. 30 players. Second on the list is Alabama at 28. Third on the list is Ohio State at 24. So, it, you know, it's, there's no secret that recruiting success correlates directly with playoff success. But I just think it's interesting. Oregon going to Ohio State last year, they outclassed Ohio State on their own field. So I think a lot of those Oregon players are back. I don't think they're going to be wowed by the bright lights. But, you know, you look over at Georgia – Stetson Bennett, the quarterback of Georgia, wasn't a five-star guy. He was a walk-on, and then he went to a community college. Then he went back to Georgia. He was not a highly recruited, highly ranked player. And I think the star system a lot of times um, is designed, I think, for fans. I think to some respect it's designed for coaches. But I've seen players who were like three- or four-star players, and then suddenly they're being recruited by a particular university that's got some notoriety and all of a sudden they elevate to a four or five star player and so i think those systems those that you know the 24/7 that hands out the star system i'd be really curious to see how many stars they're handing out today versus 5 years ago because their subscription based model is is based on generating hysteria and excitement in the fan base and you do that with the star system i think you are right on with that you know fans love the stars 
you hear you see a lot of the recruiting stuff and oh you know we got a five star we got a four star I don't know. I'd have to, I need to go. Th- I'm going to go through and try to figure out if that is actually true that they're giving out more stars. But I have heard that. Yeah, I've heard that from people in the recruiting world. They're saying, "Hey, if you add up the total number of stars, it's not even close." <laughs> but I would be really curious to see like this year's class based, you know, to to 2016 and compare that. But Oregon's got enough talent to win, right? Do right. we do we agree with that? Everybody uh, yeah. agree? Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, I've said this numerous times. I think Oregon is the most talented team of the Pac-12, and so I think that they can compete in any game against anybody on any given day. And I think that's the best thing about college football. Yeah. I don't necessarily expect them to win this game, but I do expect them to compete. And to the Georgia fans um, that aren't taking this game seriously and, you know, that are looking to the SEC schedule, I would argue that Oregon is the best team on their schedule. You know, and I think that sounds crazy when you hear it, but seriously, the SEC West is so much better than the SEC East. The SEC West has Bama and Texas A&M and Auburn and LSU and all these great teams. Georgia, really, you look at their schedule, it's teams like South Carolina and Kentucky and Florida. I would argue Oregon's the best team on their schedule this year. It's interesting because that fan that was saying, you know, well, all the games are big, in the very next breath, he said, you know, I'm waiting to see what Alabama brings. That, like, that's the, that's the game that's on his marker and so, personally, I'm hoping that maybe the team at Georgia is already looking ahead to those challenges, and they think that tomorrow's going to be a cakewalk, and maybe they won't take tomorrow as seriously, and Oregon has the opportunity to jump in and surprise everybody. If they overlook Oregon, they're going to get punched in the nose, because I think Oregon's got enough talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball, to make them uncomfortable. But, again, it's a week one game. Weird things happen. Uh, the big splash is coming up. We'll take your phone calls. What do you expect? What do you think is going to happen in tomorrow's game? 503-417-7575. You tell me, uh, do you like that Oregon schedules these kinds of games? UCLA, meanwhile, playing Bowling Green and a bunch of cupcakes. Do you like that Oregon takes on this challenge? Oregon getting about $4.5 million from ESPN to play this game. That's a big payday, a big windfall for the Ducks. 503-417-7575. I'm live from Atlanta, Georgia. Tomorrow, it'll be Georgia and the Ducks on the football field. But for now, we're talking about it. Join the conversation. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.